Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Simon, and I do a show uh, when when the uh, need arises in me. Uh, I'm not sure who needs to hear this, but uh, I need to say some of these things. Uh, and I want to talk today uh, about the mass shootings, uh, the two of them that just occurred. Uh, that may be a tipping point in terms of how angry and frightened people will be uh, about standing by uh, as citizens in a supposed democracy while individuals uh, take military-grade weapons to some public place and open fire, uh, killing uh, seemingly at random uh, any number of individuals uh, and then we're left uh, with the same old uh, uh, tired slogans from the politicians uh, who, who seem to be so unimaginative and at the same time so supportive of those uh, who would see to it that these uh, mass shootings not only go on and on, uh, but uh, are, are, uh, get worse and worse. Um, uh, and, and uh, I want to speculate on some ideas today. Um, I asked the question, can psychology help explain these mass shootings? And I'll give the, uh, the, the short answer right away. No. Uh, psychology by itself is really helpless to create an explanation for why they're taking place, nor suggest what should be done about them. Already, the, uh, piet, the pious ones are saying their thoughts and prayers go out to the victims and their families. Uh, so now we can go on and forget about it and what's been happening. As our society dies, and I believe we are in a dying democracy, uh, and, and not even necessarily moving towards um, a, an authoritarian system, but an anarchy uh, in which uh, there are no rules, in which nobody knows who to believe. And everybody, uh, rather than being a citizen in a democracy and debating and sharing ideas and creating common goals, everybody does what they want and runs back and forth like a chicken without a head, um, screaming this and screaming that. The other thing that is already occurring is that the two young men, it's usually young men who uh, commit these terrible acts, um, are mentally ill. Uh, the governor of Texas called one a madman. Um, they will be called by others monsters, all of which uh, are judgments and in no way explain the behavior or begin to explain the behavior, which is why psychology, particularly the clinical end of psychology, which uh, allies itself with psychiatry, clinical social work, and simply makes these judgments and then suggests that maybe more mental health services uh, uh, will, will be the answer. And it ignores the enormous complexity of what would be necessary 
to explain why this young man uh, in Texas, for example, did what he did. But the first thing I want to say is that if we're to come up with an explanation, we have to stop calling the, these people mentally ill. Uh, if it would be found on a postmortem of one of these individuals that there's a brain tumor uh, or some really uh, uh, clear cognitive, uh, in, uh, neurological malady uh, that uh, led to the planning of the act, the buying of the gun, the loading of the gun, uh, the, the picking of the, the site. These are not just random uh, uh, acts of, of, uh, of violent hatred. They're planned. There's something the individual wanted to do. They're clearly motivated and meaningful behaviors. If not meaningful to those of us who are the victims, and, and, the, and those who, who then puzzle uh, endlessly as to the motive, uh, they were meaningful to the individuals who pulled the trigger and carried out these acts. Okay? Um, and that requires something more than a judgment that says they're madmen or monsters or mentally ill. And, and need to be made mentally healthy by some form of therapy, which increasingly would be giving them pills. And by the way, there's a whole other topic I won't discuss today, is that uh, these pills, these, these antidepressant pills, antipsychotic pills, uh, seem to be linked with um, acts of violence, of, of suicide, and uh, other acts of violence outward towards people. And I'm not going to get into that at all because I don't think uh, those, uh, whatever those pills might be doing, those so-called medications, which are just lousy drugs, uh, brain-disabling, brain-disorganizing drugs, um, can explain what's going on here. So the first thing I want to do is to say that these two young men who carried out these acts are human beings. They're not monsters, although they fit the definition of a monster, which is an, a, a, a being that looks human but no longer seems to be able to understand or appreciate the pain and horror it visits on other people. But they are human beings. They're not mon real monsters. The word monster here is a judgment we make, and then it sort of satisfies uh, desire, uh, then, well, let's call the, the death penalty and kill them. Uh, we can kill these two young men, and <laughs> I won't argue that maybe that in the long run will save more lives if they're put to death. But it won't solve the problem, and it certainly won't tell us what the motivation was and the reason these acts were carried out. So they're human beings. Secondly, I don't believe we will ever fully understand these behaviors because I don't understand that we will ever fully understand any human adapt adaptive action. These were done for reasons of, uh, uh, of the individuals themselves. And I will get into some of the elements of those reasons, some of the elements of the story 
that led them to see this as not only a rational thing to do, but an important thing to do, a meaningful thing to do. Because for them, this was an important act. One of them is dead. The other one will never have a life again uh, that will be worth living, that most of us uh, who are talking on this show or, or thinking about what to have for dinner uh, uh, would consider to be a useful, meaningful, happy life. And I want to talk about something I wrote in one of my book, my book, my last book, uh, and I have a, a, a site that you could go to if you're interested and buy this book and read it, and then maybe uh, come on the show with me and discuss it. That would make me very happy. I have concluded, I wrote, that all human behaviors are no different in kind from any other human behavior. Human behavior and subjective experience, both accepted and rejected, both judged normal and abnormal, represent adaptations to life given the totality of a person's genetic and biological inheritance, as well as their interaction with the social, political, economic, educational, and environmental forces they encounter. In short, both so-called normal and abnormal patterns of behavior represent the best adaptations to life any given individual could achieve given the totality of their existences. To explain the trajectory, the trajectory of development and modes of subjective experience of individual differences, we would have to understand the differences in each of a person's genetic endowment as well their as their experiences in the social, political, economic, educational, and other realms of existence, in addition to the specific sequence of these interactions. We're never going to fully know why on one, this, the morning that this young man did this and threw away his life and the lives of, of other people, uh, why he did this uh, and somebody else in his neighborhood got up and went to uh, a college class uh, and uh, uh, spent the day studying and thinking about becoming a doctor, why one did one and one did the other. Certainly we can guess, and there are factors I will discuss in a bit that I think might be worth looking at. But there's a couple of truths from my point of view about the young men who do this and others who do acts like this. One is they no longer see their victims as human beings. The story they live by, the, what they experience of other people, uh, in some cases, whether those other people are uh, minority, uh, immigrants of different religion, of different appearance in one way or another, they no longer see them as human. They see them as less than human. And whenever we see human beings mass exterminate other human beings, that seems to be an element. So if we're looking for explanations as to why this happened, not the means to carry it out, but the desire to do this, we have to 
start to understand why these individuals no longer see many or all of their fellow human beings as worthy of living, laughing, uh, 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 being happy, uh, satisfying their needs, uh, going shopping, uh, going to school, getting married, having children, going out and playing a game of golf or tennis, or all the other things, uh, going out for dinner, doing all the things that they love to do that makes the life they live uh, that they share with others that they care about and love worthwhile. That somehow is not at the center of their story. And while I don't know, because I haven't discussed this with mass murderers, somehow in the course of their own existence, somehow they were dehumanized. They are human, but somehow something is missing and they have given up or no longer can see the possibility of their enjoying life with other people. Um, I think I can't see around this. Now, the governor of Texas uh, said, well, he played too many video games. And just as an aside, that's possibly true. But in and of itself, this did not, I believe, in any way explain the actions that were taken. Millions and millions of people play too many, in my judgment, play too many hours of video games, violent video, video games. When they stop the game, they look around and they see human beings who are different from the, from the cartoon characters, no matter how well drawn and, and acted out, uh, that they're playing the game with. What's been lost in these individuals and why? I don't think we'll fully explain for the reasons I just said and read from my book. But that's somehow a piece of it. There is a dehumanization. When Hitler killed three million Jews and then went on, uh, three million Poles, gypsies, and then went on to slaughter six million Jews. The language that was used and the way in which those who carried it out and the people who supported the citizens of Germany who supported and said nothing while this was done, uh, uh, who ate the Wiener Schnitzel and went to work uh, and paid their taxes and did nothing, uh, were uh, um, part uh, of a slaughter of what were called rats, rodents, and the death camps were referred to as extermination camps. Uh, if, uh, if anybody has ever been to these extermination camps, some couple of years ago I was in um, Auschwitz and Birkenau, uh, and it wasn't merely that these individuals uh, that were put there were killed uh, like a rat, or a rodent or some kind of animal that we wouldn't want uh, in our homes or near our food, they were tortured. They were debased. They were humiliated. They were made to feel to the degree that that, that could be successful, that they were less than human. Where does this come from? What can we look at? 
And one of the things I've been exploring for some years now is the difference in politics and economics that people grow up with. And I've been speaking about this. I've done different shows. Um, somehow, and I don't know this to be true. I haven't done research on this. This is my guess. These individuals grew up in very authoritarian homes and as a result have leaned towards the most authoritarian groups in society because the kind of joys and pleasures and satisfactions that most people enjoy such that they would never think of throwing away their life as they destroy the lives of others, large numbers of others that they don't even know. Somehow that relates to economics and politics. And one of the interesting things about these video games is that more and more of the young people, and I put my grandchildren uh, uh, into this category, spend their time on their phones and on mechanical devices. And my guess, and this is a guess, that many of the individuals who have been um, uh, dehumanized and hurt through economic deprivations the mechanism has been that their jobs, the crafts that their fathers and grandfathers may have uh, uh, earned their living and enjoyed or gotten satisfaction uh, uh, from, have been replaced by machines. And I've said this on my show many times. One of the things we have to begin to choose as a society is whether or not the life of a human being should be altered by the life or the use of a machine. And more and more, our lives are being altered. I have a quip that I put into my uh, description of today's show. Will Alexa ever really love you? Uh, uh, a couple of movies have been out about uh, people who fall in love uh, with, with uh, uh, computer programs that are simulated. I recommend to everybody who hears this, get a copy of the movie Ex Machina, E-X-M-A-C-H-I-N-A. -A. Uh, it is a breathtaking little science fiction movie uh, that turns out to be a breathtaking horror film in terms of uh, the consequences, the possible consequences of uh, artificial intelligence in which machines begin to think and feel with the same desires and hopes and fears and, and hatreds and loves as human beings and what might come from it. I won't tell the ending of the film, but it really is well done. In any event, I think that's all a piece of where these young people come from. Many of them don't do well in school. They don't seem to be excited by learning. I don't know how much of that is a function of the home and how much is that a function of the schools. Um, here in Florida, the schools are, are, are a shame in many cases. More and more money is going to charter schools. The teachers are underpaid. Uh, and when I meet some of these teachers, lovely people, but uh, their intellectual skills, uh, you get what you pay for. Uh, the best people are not going into education today. 
uh, they go into, especially the women who used to go into nursing and the women who used to go into teaching because they were blocked from many other professions are now going in uh, to medicine and law and uh, entrepreneurial work. And the people who are coming in to teaching are individuals uh, who uh, may or may not love teaching, and many of them who are teachers are saints. The best people to me in the world is a group of teachers, but many are not really equipped intellectually or socially to be teachers. They could be doing something else, but, but not guiding young people. I, I just feel that way. Uh, I don't know how authoritarian their home lives are. As a psychologist, I have worked over 50 years with people who come out of families in which nobody talks about their feelings, their thoughts. Nobody is aware of the thoughts and feelings of other individuals. It's all labels. You're a good kid. You're a bad kid. You're no good kid. You're a piece of shit. You're a, you're a, I wish you had never been born. Uh, you ruined my life. Uh, by people who are very unhappy themselves, and this is how many generations have gone through this authoritarian and totalitarian kind of a development. And I talk about that in my book and describe some of the dynamics that occur from these authoritarian systems. I believe uh, in democracy, and I talk about this on this show and wherever else I talk, that in a democracy, there is an awareness that every individual has to be concerned with and participate in the life of a family, in the community, in the larger society, in the country they live in. But at the same time, they have needs as individuals a need to express their individuality in some way, a need to feel that they matter, that they're in control of aspects of their life. Uh, as I get older and older, uh, I think that control on many levels that we feel we have is more an illusion than anything else. But those are needs, individual needs and group needs. And the conflicts that always occur within ourselves and between a people have to be resolved. And in a democracy, they're resolved through negotiation and respect. In the authoritarian system, people are convinced that they are superior to others and inferior to others. Those above them are better than them. Those below them, they're better than. Innately, in, in some way. Uh, either God made it that way within religious type hierarchies or um, their genes have made it. And so many of our, our psychological theories are simple minded genetic explanations of why people are the way they are. Uh, and this then uh, feeds into uh, a justification for doing terrible things, exploiting people. Uh, <clears throat> while being obedient to those above, because these systems have to be held in place by uh, a fear uh, and a desire to be superior like those above one and gain their favor and control with whatever means necessary those below, even if exterminating them 
if they run from a different tribe, if they are look differently enough, uh, or once they're labeled in certain ways. Uh, certainly, um, the politics of our country right now are rancid with uh, a president uh, who talks about people as infestations. Uh, there's a tremendous problem we have with immigration. But the uh, uh, talking about the, the, the convincing unhappy millions of people that their real problem is because of this infestation of humanity uh, only leads to grief and destructive behavior on the part of many individuals. Uh, so, my field is not a good field. It starts with an interaction between one person who's suffering and, and has difficulty living their life uh, and another who, in order to be paid through the insurance companies, has to make a diagnosis which is really a moral judgment that denigrates and assumes, for example, a permanent chemical alteration of the brain which will never be made to go away uh, but can be controlled to a, with mind-altering, brain-disabling drugs. This, by the way, seems to be when politicians call for more mental health services, the kind of services that will be given. How do we restore communities? How do we convince children and their parents and families to get the kind of education and support the kind of education that will allow these individuals to develop a story of self so that it's not they're good people or bad people or monsters or mentally ill, but individuals who behave in certain ways that sometimes can be explained and sometimes can't, but in many cases can be altered. What we choose to do with our behavior, if we are aware of the choices, is very different than how we behave if we believe that biology or God or our place in society has fated us to live a certain way in which uh, we don't have satisfaction, that we're less than fully human, and walk around in a rage, seeing others have what we don't have, seeing them and denigrating them, and then in some way or another deciding, I'll take them out and I'll take myself out, and this will make me powerful. This will make me uh, important, especially in the eyes of those who form groups. In our case now, white nationalist groups. Uh, in other countries, it was the communists. Uh, in Germany, it was the Nazis. Um, in that, their eyes, we will be heroes, and thus we will have proven the worth and value of our lives. I think that's very much involved in what are these, these mass shootings and the stories that motivate them. I don't know the answer to this, but I do have some suggestions, and that'll end today's show. I think I've spoken long enough. I am absolutely in awe 
of the politicians who argue under the Second Amendment of our Constitution that everybody has the right to carry a gun of any kind that they want. I can't imagine a civilized country remaining civilized when any individual with any grievance whatsoever can get the hold of a gun, such as the one used in uh, uh, Texas, that can fire and kill 50, 60, 70 people, kill or wound within a minute, that it had a hundred rounds of ammunition in its drum. Oh, I assume that's the clip to the, to the gun. Our democracy depends upon our ability to see everybody as human, whether we like them or not, whether we want them in jail or maybe even have them committed to death, whether or not we want to reward them with big salaries, whatever we want. But it's got to be through the participation of everybody in the society old enough and educated enough to be part of a democracy. Um, the politicians who now serve us in many cases, who follow meekly along with the President of the United States, who I believe is a very unhappy, empty, angry individual, a sad, sad man who I don't think has ever been properly loved, and I don't think he understands what love is between him and anybody else in the world. He understands power. He understands control. He understands that he has to somehow keep saying how great he is and how wonderful he is. And those who stay quiet in order for their reelection really need to be put out of office and replaced with individuals who understand what a democracy is and understand that we may not be able to stop all mass murder, but we can stop a lot of it. And that put the guns back in the hands of the military uh, where they belong and not in citizens who are not trained to use them, who are not part of a disciplined force, are not part of a of, uh, uh, a command system that says when and how to fire and who to fire them at. I could go on if I wanted about the, the horror of war and, and the uh, fact that war has been made into a virtue rather than a necessity. But uh, that, that I won't do today, maybe another time. All right, I think I've said what I wanted to say. Um, I think that uh, psychology, the way it exists now, especially as it's related to the mental health movement, is not only uh, worthless in stopping these problems, but it is part of the problem of creating hierarchies and telling people uh, that their life is hopeless and that they're damaged genetically, physically. Uh, and the best they can do uh, is take brain-disabling drugs. Uh, many people I know don't do that, but that it starts out that way because of the devil's bargain we made 
in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, of becoming part of the psychiatric system and being paid and using the language of pseudo-medicine. Okay, I don't know if anybody has heard this. Uh, my last show last week has done fairly well. People are coming to it. Um, I would be wonderfully happy if anybody read my book and sent me a message about it, positive, negative, if they wanted to discuss it and their ideas about it. I'm actually thinking of, uh, and I've started revising uh, the, the current book, uh, which I really won't look to publish uh, unless uh, the situation is different with the current uh, sales of the book, this book. But anyway, nobody's calling me. Nobody wants to tell me I'm right, wrong. Nobody wants to debate, argue. Nobody wants to get online. Um, nobody's there. If I can think of a good topic, I'll be back on the air next week at 4 o'clock. That would be nice to do. I'd be happy to do that. Right now, I'm going to go watch uh, the Women's Golf Championship. Um, played 18 holes today. Didn't sleep well last night. I thought I'd get on the course and it would be a disaster. But I got a little bit of rhythm back today. I'm so happy. Good, good night. Take care, all. And I'm going to now end this broadcast. <laughs>